Hello, my name's Greg Kindred. I'm a commercial photographer in the Kansas City metro area and I love to work for businesses and I do a variety of different things but uh, business headshots, product photography, uh, lots of event stuff, shot a lot of material down at Bartle Hall and different convention uh, uh, centers and so you know I get hired to do a lot of crazy things so it's whatever but uh, I shot a rail car not too long ago and uh, I just came uh, this last weekend from a uh, puppy shoot so uh, lots of fun <laughs> stuff okay and now I'm going to complete that was an awesome introduction I have all these questions about commercial photography and I'm going to completely derail it by going straight backwards to the beginning of time and say why you, Greg, do you like photography? When did you start taking pictures? And was this always your favorite medium? Because I know you're creative. And so are there other mediums you, when you were playing with art as you were young growing up, when did photography start for you? You know, it actually started in college. I did a oh. photography course. It was black and white film course. So it was a, you know, hey, you got to go in and develop your your uh, film and then make some prints and the typical college course they gave you some sort of uh, assignment you know whatever it was several through the semester but uh, you had to get a camera which I didn't have I mean I had, in the way back years I had a little point and shoot and I had a couple of those cameras. Remember the little flash that was square that you'd hit, click it and it would turn? Yeah, those are totally fun. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So, I mean, we all had those. And then, of course, you took pictures of the Christmas tree and your cat. And, I mean, I, I, I mean, it was fun as a photographer then, but that wasn't really what. Uh, the college course gave me the opportunity to have a 35-millimeter camera with interchangeable lens. I just had one. But uh, it was fun and it was interesting. And it gave me a different viewpoint of what photography was versus the little Instamatic camera stuff. Um, and of course, back in those days, everything was film and you had to take it and develop it. And so your patience for understanding what you shot is always a week away. Right. And so, you know, it's interesting uh, there was no immediate gratification when you did photography back in those days. So along the way, I, I ended up getting this great job at this veterinary company, and sooner or later, we needed photography. And I say sooner or later because you used to buy photography. You could call somebody, and we would go shoot our covers, and you'd hire the photographer, you'd go down to the studio with your idea, you'd set up your idea, the guy would shoot it, and you'd go, and again, he's shooting film. Right. So the best you could do, the fastest was, it was, it was kind of a Polaroid thing, and you could see a quick Polaroid of what you were going to get. But so my point about that is I learned about photography standing in the studio. I liked the... the uh, interaction between the client me and the photographer and it was fun to see the whole creative process develop but our company started losing I suppose it was ad revenue along the way and over time we lost the ability to pay for services 
pay for an, pay for somebody for the to make it worth their time a really good photographer to go on location or come to us to do that. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. And so along the way, right about that same time, oh wow, you could go on the internet and you could buy stock photography. Hey, management loves that idea. You don't have to pay for it. I mean, you don't have to commission it, I should say. So we would go buy much, much cheaper photography online. And then, gosh, uh, in the animal health industry is where we were. And so you would put out some picture of some fun, neat, great pet shot. Maybe it's a puppy. And then all of a sudden, it would show up in an ad for a uh, veterinary services company or who knows where and all of a sudden our editorial work was showing up in advertisements because you know there's just so many pets because then talk, so there was, talk about the, the cost of stalker photography yes you can pay sometimes at these stock photography houses you can pay for exclusive rights you buy this picture and this is yours but that is really high that's like the cost almost the cost of like bringing that photographer in so there's always in the agreements there was always that bit about you have total right to use this and anybody else who comes along and pays the 25 50 dollars also has total right to do whatever they want with it yeah yeah that's for sure so lots of, i think everybody realized that along the way uh we still didn't have any art budget that had dwindled and so you had to decide, well, we could use what everybody else had or we could figure out a different way. And in our particular company, you know, we were all about figuring out a different way. We, we were uh, all about, let's make it happen. So I had a camera, you know, what do we need? Let's try to do something. Well, maybe it was just somebody's headshot. Uh, an author or whatever, right? And if they were local and we could do it, I would try to do it. And in combination with my experience with uh, going down to the studio and watching the professional photographer work, uh, you know, I kind of felt like, well, I could kind of do this. And then, you know, one or two things would get published. And then who knows? I mean, hundreds of things over the years now have been published of things that I've shot and added to not only our magazines, but, you know, our convention services. So somewhere along the line in there, and this is over a course of, you know, 10 and 15 years, yeah. somewhere in there, I had the opportunity to buy a bunch of used studio equipment, lights, studio lights, flashes. Uh, so I kind of had a much more professional rig going. And it, of course, like... Uh, the standard phrase, uh, you know, the job is easier with the right tool. So uh, the better I had, the more tools I ended up having, actually the easier it was to get the job done that looked correct and looked professional. Okay, I do have a question about that because I think, you know, you're right. From one respect, <clears throat> you get more sophisticated tools, better tools, you know, and then you have better tools for the job. You make things better. But also, you're talking about getting a glut of stuff at once. I feel like a lot of times if we're unfamiliar with a bunch of technology, new stuff, we suck it all in and then people get overwhelmed by it and either walk away from it or they never learn how to use it properly. Did you at the time, did you in this time when you pulled this big batch of equipment and brought it all in at once, did you already know how to use all this stuff or you're just the type of person who's like, I'm excited. I'm just going to keep playing with this until I figure out how all this stuff works together. Uh, well, 
it's about an 80 20 80 percent i knew how to use it okay i mean i I, again it comes from watching and learning from my experience standing in the studio with the photographer so i bought the same brand that he had i didn't necessarily go out looking for it but it was kind of in my mind if i was to find something it'd be nice if it was this because i'd already seen him he plugs it in he knows he turns a couple dials now the and and I say 80/20, maybe it was 60/40. I don't know. Absolutely, uh, there was some trial and error and you know my first I was so excited to plug it in and get it and everything I took was completely blown out, way overexposed. Way too much light, right? Okay. And I'm going, wait a minute, what's going on here? Now two things are interesting. Back in the day when everybody was shooting film, Film requires quite a bit of light to expose. And so the particular kind of studio lights that I bought is a brand name called Speedatron. And they were engineered for the old days. And they have all kinds of watt seconds of light. So everything was super bright. And I had to realize you have to dial everything down. You have to keep your apertures up. Uh, It just... It's, it was a learn so that learning curve happened and I'm working in my studio and in my basement studio and learning how to get an exposure right or I'd bring some of that stuff into the job and we would sit there and do headshots or we'd do something and uh, you know I, I definitely had a period of time where uh, you know I tried not to look that like I didn't quite understand what I was getting or, or why things were overexposed but you know, it was a it was a work in progress along the way, and you just kind of fake it till you make it to some extent. Okay, that's perfect because that brings me to this question I held off on <clears throat> when you were talking about when you first experimented. You said, "Oh, I'd use those little disposable or small cameras we had at home, and I would just take pictures of whatever's around the house, like any kid." But then you get older, you go to college, you take a photography class, and you're like, "Oh, I started noticing things." So my question is, from then to now. Is most of your growth from feedback you have gotten from people who look at the photo and say, well, I wanted this different, I wanted that different, and that helps you calibrate? Or is a lot of it it developing, you being open to developing your own kind of artist's, photographer's eye, where you kind of know what you like, and then that turns out to be right for other people? So is it mostly feedback coming in? I like this. I didn't like that. We need this. We don't need that. Or you like looking at things and deciding, I like the way that picture looks. I, I fussed that dial down. I put that dial up. So um, I'm sh- I bet you're hearing this phone in the background, aren't you? Oh, you can barely hear it. <laughs> <laughs> so listen, I have a really unique uh, set of skills that I can bring into photography. I worked for 33 years as an art director, design director, and uh, I have a real sense of what I like in photography. What is a photograph that looks good to me, right? Yeah. I mean, it's lit a certain way. There's color saturation. Uh, maybe the crop on it is a particular way. I, there are definitely photographs that I am uh, much more willing to look at and engage in and then there are some that aren't. And I go, I just don't like that style. So I can bring all that, and I did bring that. So I've got all this wealth of 
my own experience as a designer and what I think makes a good ad and what looks good as a portrait and all of that. So I can bring all that into the picture and then, yes, I definitely counted on some feedback. But, you know, feedback is really interesting and oftentimes dangerous. Oh, what are you thinking? I didn't like that at all. Like, who cares what you think, right? Is it right? Is it in focus first? Is it exposed correctly second? I mean, is the half of the face or half of the subject falling off the page or out of frame? I mean, if it is, is it cropped correctly? Right. And then if somebody else doesn't like, I mean, it doesn't, some of that you have to be careful to go, oh, I could easily have said, oh, I'm terrible. Nobody likes this. Yes. Well, then that's kind of a, you know, you that's a career killer if you want to buy into some of that stuff, right? So uh, I think that the, the good feedback from somebody that you can trust is valuable. So uh, I got involved with a group. It's called Project 52. I stumbled across it probably 15 years ago. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's run by a photographer out of Phoenix, Arizona. And over the years, I've been friends with him now for 15 years. We've become, he's my mentor. And I have a few other photography mentors. You know, one of them is uh, our friend and and, uh, photographer who shot for our magazines over all these years, Mark. He's here, a local photographer in Kansas City, and you know, over the years, I certainly have talked with him about things. But uh, Don is my mentor and uh, and a photographer friend from Phoenix. And w- over the years, I got involved in this group. We've had hundreds of assignments he's given out, not to me, just to me, but his whole group. You know, yeah. Shoot something shiny. Uh, shoot a stranger. Uh, shoot a ball of fruit. I mean, I, it, it's endless, endless, endless. One of his fun assignments is shoot a red balloon. The point is, uh, you do the assignment, and then you'd get sit with him, and it's usually a Zoom meeting of some kind, and there'd be anywhere from five to uh, twenty different photographers on the Zoom call, and he would go through and critique everybody's work. And you could not only learn from the critique he said on my piece, oh, what about this? But you can also learn by watching 20 different people's work get critiqued. And this happened to be a group of uh, kind of anybody that wanted to be a photographer and wanted to improve could be in it. And so some of the stuff you would easily go, yeah, that, that needs some serious work. Maybe it's way underexposed. Maybe they don't have any real equipment, right? Or what they have is super minimal. Right. And then you step it all the way up to somebody that has everything they need, and all of a sudden the critique is different. You know, well, why did it, maybe just raise it on the horizon line or something as opposed to light it different? But very, te- very so, technical. And I've kind of rambled here. That's a long way to say, but I think that the uh, getting critique from the right person is good, and it's helpful. But getting critiques from any Tom, Dick, and Harry doesn't really mean anything if you have confidence that your work is already good to begin with. 
When you approach, when there is a, a new client <clears throat> or new potential client, somebody you haven't worked with before, because I can feel this, whether you're writing or podcasting, editing, uh, doing graphic design, photography, you have to kind of figure out what do they want and then what do they think they want? But so they're telling me one thing, but I need to translate that. So I need to gather information. How do you work that out at the beginning? Somebody says, hey, I need you to take 100 shots of products. And you're like, okay, well, I, I need some follow-up information. So I need some follow-up information. How are you going to use this? What do you want this for? What is that process of kind of information gathering in the beginning so that you can give them what they want, even if they're not clear? Well, I think that my background as the art director has still brings a ton of uh, really valuable knowledge to that answer. You've had to do this with editors. Yeah. <laughs> what is it you wanted? You're right. <laughs> <laughs> no, so listen, are you going to use this online? Is it just a social media thing? Are you going to use it in print? So obviously, knowing that, I know what size file to give people. Okay, so besides the, the technical side of that, uh, are you selling this? Are you selling it? Period. I mean, are you? Is this a pair of shoes, and you're going to sell it, or you know? And of course, be, being a commercial photographer, that yes, the answer is yes. Everybody is selling whatever they need, right? Right. So, uh, but but how you use it? Is this a social media feed, or is this? You know, gonna is it a are we building your brand or you know what right? So just uh, some simple questions back and forth to the client. It's just a conversation. What do you what do you have? What do you need? What do you want to get out of it? So this guy a couple of weeks a month ago, I shot a rail car downtown. Okay. Well, what are you gonna do with that, right? So it's a custom made thing that was created and fabricated here in Kansas City. And they rolled it out of this building, and, uh, you know, I go down there and look at it, and I go, well, I mean, I don't know what was super special about it. It looks kind of like a lot of rail cars. <laughs> <laughs> but they're proud of it, and it was something about it was a little bit unique, you know, so it's all good. And they're going to use it. They'll probably put it on their website, and they'll use it for, you know, they, they custom fabricate rail cars to your needs and so that's their sales pitch right so that's what they're gonna do um so in that let me ask you i'm curious about that because when i look at the variety of product shots because you've been doing these product shots now especially a lot for the past few years really kind of focusing on it like this is a thing the world needs there's all kinds of everybody needs shots of their products some of them are very stationary um, and some of them are full of action things are moving there's water there's things moving around there's lighting effects how do you sort out which way, if the client's not clear, are you just having fun with it? you just like, what is, I could give them a wide variety of things and they're just going to pick something from totally stationary against a white background to full of action. How do you, how are you making those decisions? Well, you know, everything you see on my website is shot for my portfolio. Okay. I would love to tell you that I shot a great beer shot for Budweiser. or you know, <laughs> And Budweiser told you what they wanted. Yeah. Yeah. And we completed the shot and got it done. So unfortunately, that's not true. If those are all portfolio shots for me. Many of them stem from the creative assignments that came out of this Project 52 group. Like, literally, we might do a session that, let's say it's, uh, you know, six or eight weeks on doing splash photography. And so, let's everything you're going to do is going to have some kind of splash. Now, you might 
drop a product into water, splash into something. You might have an assignment where it's splash onto the product. Right. You might uh, do something where it's sitting in a small puddle of water and you just get a little kind of a splash underneath it. So uh, all those assignments were specific like that. And so that's why some of these, uh, I mean, it, you do look at my product work and you go, well, it's all over the board. How come, how did you get a client to ask for that? <laughs> so this, the standard client, generally speaking, is super conservative. They don't either understand their product could look super cool doing this or it's way out of their product line box, right? It won't Having fit in me with the rest come of their in and images. say, if you come in to me and I can go, hey, I can add this great, it doesn't look like what the rest of their stuff looks like. And I get that. You know, that's kind of the unfortunate reality of commercial photography is um, it's pretty much cut and dried. Shoot for what they want. They're pretty specific about what they want. And, you know, uh, deliver what they need, and that's everybody's happy. And that, those particular images aren't always portfolio builder, big shot, big fabulous things, right? They just are simple things. But yeah. Uh, yeah. having the ability to do it and showing people what you could come up with helps, I think, uh, the creative juices all over. So, yes. Uh, is it a bit, a lot of times, it sounds, a lot of the work, you have these things where you get this very vague, it's a vague assignment. I mean, the Project 52 guy will say, hey, drops, you know, here's a splash, but I don't care what the product is. And I don't care what color. I'm just telling you, here's one element to, to implement. It reminds me of the stuff <clears throat> my cousin does, Inktober, which is like 30 days of doing ink drawings. And it's just pumpkin, rose, tulip, dead, joy. And so you just interpret that however you want. Whereas... Do you think over the many years, I think you're at work, you're kind of boxed in by the visual style guide. So our stuff looks like this, or we're going in a new direction. So it has to look like this. It has to incorporate these colors. It has to work this way. And everybody's got an opinion about it. So it's kind of restrained. And these other ones are just free flowing. Do they feel significantly different when you're operating under tight constraints and then whether, oh, just do whatever. And do you prefer one or the other or there's different feelings? Well, it's easier to do the job under tight constraints because you understand what he, you're dealing I with. I agree. Uh, I don't know that. Well, quite honestly, I had one customer, one client asked me to shoot. He found me. He saw my website, loved my work decided, I want you to do something for my product, and I don't know what it is. Can you come up with something? <laughs> All right, so this guy is a hot sauce company. Okay. And he's not in stores yet, but he, of course, would like to be. But he usually sells his product out of a booth in uh, the weekend um, city markets. Yeah. Uh, you know, Mission City Market in the spring and summer or, you know, around town in different places. So... Uh, and he he was the probably the only guy that has said do whatever you want, and so I did whatever I want, and I I didn't splash anything. <laughs> I did add smoke to the shot, and uh, I built a set that was kind. Of, I mean he he said my brand is kind of like this. You know, we talked a little bit about the brand name is Mythos, 
And I like, what the heck is Mythos, right? So uh, like we talked about his whole, and his product names are all these kind of Greek names. And it's okay. like, I don't, it's Ancient just kind of weird. Roman thing, I gotcha. Yeah, I mean, and what we came up with isn't, you know, uh, the product held by David in, in a naked statue. It's not that. But, uh, uh, I mean, it was funky and a little bit weird and different probably. Now, having said that, I mean, I've got some stylized shots that are shot only on white and only on black. And he's got of, of a bottle of sauce and his whole product line. I think he's got six, six brands. Uh, so, I mean, then it's simple. And, you know, again, it, my art director background says you need simple in order to put copy around it. You don't want to confuse the client with a bunch of visual clutter. But uh, the fun stuff was, uh, you know, when you want to now stand out in a crowded marketplace of other sauces and, and the photography is interesting and different than everybody else's, that has some merit too. So, And he was thrilled with the outcome. So, What is the competitive... <clears throat> I guess with products, a lot of these products, if they're small enough to fit in a box, then the competitive landscape for, for a product photography is international. If you can fit it in a box, you can send it to me. I'll take pictures of your physical thing in my studio. Or if you have wonderful many shots of the object already and you want me to somehow craft or Photoshop, you could do Photoshopping. Does it feel like, does product photography feel like an international thing where you're competing with the world? Or does it really feel more like you're kind of competing with the people who are in a geographical area near the businesses where their headquarters are close to them? Boy, I don't know. That's a great question. I think that probably for me currently it feels pretty local. Yeah. Uh, my rail car guy called me from Seattle. So, I, you know, he but the rail car was being built here. Okay, yeah. I mean, that's why it's not like, oh, fly to Seattle and shoot the rail car. Oh, that would be fun too. <laughs> but that, that hasn't happened yet. Uh, but the... So that again, it was local. You know, the rail car was being built here, and they, he needed somebody. So he found me, and I could get the job done. The other small tabletop stuff, uh, you know, pretty much it's shot with local companies around here. So, and are do most of the photographers who do product photography are they like you, where they sort of branch out? Look, I could do headshots, I can do I can do all the photography, but product photography feels like this niche I could get into. Do most photographers niche up, or do some decide I'll do anything with a camera? Um, well, definitely the answer is yes to both. Okay. <laughs> the all right. So the really top end, highly paid commercial photographers. Okay. are super niche. This guy is a food photographer, but he only shoots desserts or okay. you know, whatever. Or if you're a drink photographer and you have ads that appear in Vogue or a fashion photographer and you have work in Vogue, you're only known to do that stuff. So then it, like, it tears down. Well, that's the pyramid, right? right? So that's the guy at the very top. And then it tears down, and the, and the lower you get on the totem pole, the more, I can do everything. Call me. I can shoot a rail car, and I can shoot a Budweiser, whatever you need. Right. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, and that's good and bad, and it is kind of, art directors like you to specialize in stuff. 
Okay. They want to know, hey, this is the guy that even our local people in Kansas City, the local creatives, they want to know what they're going to get. They don't want to have to hire me or anybody and say, I don't know, I hope you can get this shot. They know when they hire me, I can give them the shot, right? And it's based on your body work and your portfolio. And if they're looking for a guy, if they're looking for headshots, let's just do that. Right. Um, do you light it a certain way? Is it edgy? Is it whatever? You know, do you put gels on it? Is it whatever? And, you, you know, good photographers could probably do all those styles. But if you know what you're going to get, you hire me for it. Uh, there's a photographer named Joel Grimes, and people hire him because he always has a very particular style. And he makes a ton of money just making headshots. But uh, it's just the way it turns out to be. You've probably heard of a photographer named Annie Leibovitz. Right. And she uh, is hired because she has that style and people like the way she looks. And part of it is, you know, if you're not paying $10,000 for your photographer, they must be crap. So, uh, Does that mean in commercial photography, do you feel... You know, part part of art is finding your voice and finding what you're good at. Like you talked about, over time, over the years, I figured out what I like to see in these photos. And then it turned out that seemed to match up. The photos were better in other people's eyes. And I figured out what I was good at. I figured out what I like to see. And you narrow down, narrow down, narrow down. But then I can absolutely feel this pressure to – so as you're saying, the top of the pyramid, you've narrowed to a point And you get to do what – you're very good at a certain thing. And everybody comes to you for that. But then there's that other part of the artist, which is the pressure, like getting pushed into that little, the one way of doing things is distinctive to you. But what about that kind of creativity is all about experimentation. Like if you're talking about a guy who makes all the headshots look about the same, and that's why people want them from me. How does that, do you think that gets boring? Is there ever a time where you had to take so many shots of something? You're like, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. This I can feel my creative brain just <laughs> squishing away. <laughs> <laughs> well, sure. You know, I, that's the beauty of uh, being owning your own business. You can change tomorrow if you want. Now, if you spend a lot of time and you have, are getting to the top of that pinnacle, making a change because you're bored is could be business suicide, right? Correct. <laughs> uh, you just gotta. I, I think that part of if you love what you do and can get paid for it, you're never bored anyway, right? It's it's a great thing. Yeah. It's different than you go to work, you go to a job, and the job says, today, this is what we need you to do. And companies are so all about change, just almost for change's sake. Oh, well, we got to change something because we've been doing this for six months or two years or whatever. Let's change it. And that might maybe that's a change of ownership or maybe that's a change in leadership and maybe that's a change in uh you know you're trying to figure out a different market share and so you do something and you know then as the employee having to do it you don't even like to change you know it doesn't even make sense right they don't care what you know your employee self nobody cares what you think just do do what we want you to do right so but when you own your own business um, and you strive to we to do something, I would love to say I don't want to do anything except splash shots because they're fun and they're uh, you know. But 
they, uh, but it's hard to get hired for that, right? So it'd be hard to make a living. So you have to kind of do what people need you to do and uh, be adaptable. And, you know, probably a huge percentage of commercial work is uh, not creative. Uh, and so uh, you go, well, is that boring? Uh, well, I don't know. It's a better job as a photographer than any other job I've ever had. Right. If so, you like taking pictures, even pictures, you're taking them exactly the same way. I mean, you're still taking pictures, like writing stories. I have to write whatever it is, 500 words. It has to be these five paragraphs every time. But within those five paragraphs, it can kind of be whatever. I mean, there's yeah. some. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's an interesting world. I I, uh, I love it. It's fantastic. Uh, it's it's okay, definitely I pick, better. Oh, no. I was going to say the last thing. I wanted to pick your brain about... I don't take pictures. I don't care. I like, I just don't. Occasionally you'll take a picture of a sunset or you'll see a bug or you'll be outside and the weather's nice and you'll just take a nice picture. I'm like, oh, that was nice. The hole in a trunk, the the field of flowers or whatever, and it looks good. Or you take a picture of somebody and it accidentally turns out to be good. I'm wondering if like a, a top tip I'm wondering for stationary objects where you are, I want to take a picture of X and it won't move. A top tip for people walking around with their smartphones and their digital cameras. And then for people, a thing people do in pictures of other people that is just like, it's terrible. And you're like, I just wish everyone who took a picture of another human being would just stop doing this. And everyone who's taking a picture of a stationary thing, just do this. Is there anything that jumps out? Um, yeah, absolutely. The stationary objects, most people have a hard time getting close to their subject. You know, the biggest rule, uh, the biggest mistake, I think, of all time is people's framing. I do that, and you stand away from it. And then you look at the picture later, and you're like, it's just way in the distance. Yeah, you're going, what was I taking a picture of? Oh, of, <laughs> I was taking a picture of Brendan. Well, right. you're in the middle of a picture, standing there, and there's all this stuff. Like, what? well, you're taking a picture of Brendan. Yeah, get up to him and take a picture of him right there. And then, uh, or, you know, maybe it's, uh, maybe it's a tree. It doesn't matter. Whatever, it doesn't move. It's something. Get in closer than you expect. Yeah. You can always back up. Get in close first. Figure out if that looks good. Is everything you want to see in the frame? And then, oh, I'm cutting off a limb. Well, okay, start to back up just a little bit. But I think you'd be surprised... Uh, if you got in close and you started realizing the details of close are super fun, right? Yeah. And even really close. What happens if all of a sudden the only thing in the picture was somebody's eye? Uh, you didn't. That doesn't look like a portrait. Why, why not? And maybe it is. It's a could be a real funky portrait, right? So break break the rules. You somehow think you got to just stand there and be super normal. Or the, or the other thing is perspective all, of all those things. Sit down. Lay on the ground. Get up on a ladder. Don't just stand on your own two feet right in front of something and go, this is the shot. So figure that out. The other thing I would say about portraits is yeah. uh, people tend to light things. They, don't, they see it. Light is coming toward them. You're, you're backlit. Whether you're standing in front of the sun or you're standing in front of the porch light, or you're standing in front of the lamp in your front room, 
There's always some brighter light behind the subject and that makes your face dark. And that's not good. The light should be behind the That's a selfie thing. I'm standing here, so I'm taking a picture of myself. I just feel like you're pointing it towards you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and you want you in the sunset, right? I get that. Yeah. But when you're trying to light the sunset and you're getting a selfie, a perfect example, your face is in the shadow and it's going to be dark. Yeah. So, um, you know, photographers solve that problem by adding light to the subject. So if you can have the sunset behind you and then have a flash fill the person, then you've got light on the subject, right? But if so, the point is take take a picture with the brightest light behind the photographer. 